you know, the gold standard really worked out well for the rest of the currencies of the world. So I'm glad we're doing that. Welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Michael Lockie. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Brent Philbin. What's up? What's up? Today is going to be one of our 101 episodes. Today, we are covering the concept of stable coins within cryptocurrency. We're going to explore a few different stable coins. We're going to analyze the differences between them and discuss what we like and dislike. And hopefully, by the end of this, we can Frankenstein our perfect uh, stablecoin project. That's what I would like. I would like to build a stable of ideas and oh. put them under one roof and make one true USD. But that's or whatever it ends up being. Who knows? I don't know. So without going too far into this, Brent, have you ever owned any US dollars? <laughs> yeah, I have, in fact, owned some US dollars. I have been known to blow my US dollars on very poor purchases. So I would say... My uh, previous experience has led me to have a poor uh, bias against the U.S. dollar. Mm. So it would be fair to say that you had a negative bias going in. Is that accurate? Yeah. I, yep. Mm. U.S. dollar. How about a negative bias towards crypto coins that are stable? Well, I did have a massive negative bias toward a stable coin. Which which is Tether. The rest of them I have no experience with yet. So I actually had to look into how each one of them worked. So we'll find out. All kidding aside, uh, I I mirror that basically start to finish. I've owned some uh, Tethers at some point. I've been out of Tethers for an extremely long period of time. I've been vocal in making sure that the community is aware that Tether is not a desirable place to have your assets. And we've given lots of reasons why. I'm sure we're going to cover a little bit of that in a recap here. And we're going to compare it to some of the other options that exist. And we're going to see what we like and what we dislike. So without further ado, Brent, would you like to start with Tether or do you want to finish with Tether? Talking about stable coins, when what we mean by stable coins is a coin that has its value tied to something else. For the purposes of this episode, we are only going to focus on US dollar tied stablecoins. So we are not going to talk about the ones that are gold or the ones that are tied to the euro or the ones that are tied to different crypto assets. We are only going to talk about the ones that are trying to mimic the US dollar and how they work. Uh, the ones that we're going to go in depth on for how they work are Tether, the BitUSD, the Maker Die, and the Gemini USD, which was just announced, and the true USD that uh, has been out for a little period of time. So those five are what we're going to focus on. And then there's a couple honorable mentions, and then we'll just kind of talk about you know everything as we go along. Each coin will have its own little section almost. Actually, real quick, why don't we just go over what the questions are going to be? Why don't we set the stage for what they can expect for each of these coins? Okay, so the first thing I asked was how is it pegged? Or how is its value pegged? How has it determined that it becomes approximately equivalent to one U.S. dollar? Some of those are easy. Some of those are not so easy. Who owns it? Uh, is it decentralized or is it owned by a company of some kind? The next one is how successfully has it replicated the dollar so far? And that is how close to one dollar value does it tend to stay? 
Uh, and then finally, real quick recap of pros and cons for each one. Maybe some stuff I mentioned, maybe some stuff that I didn't. And then that'll be the the four sections that we're going to cover for, I guess it's five, you consider pros and cons separate for each coin. All right. So essentially, longtime listeners of the show are going to be very familiar with this. It's basically a rapid fire format where you should have a short answer, but you're going to not have a short answer. And rather than doing it five times, we're going to do it 20 times. We're just going to make an episode out of it. Is that <laughs> yeah, what I'm understanding here? Awesome. I'm on board. We're going to be real hard. <laughs> All aboard the rapid fire train. Let's get it started. We're going to start with, unfortunately, what is considered, and I use this term ironically, the gold standard of stable coins. And that is the tether coin. Brent, give us a rundown here. I'm glad you came up with that out of nowhere because I wrote gold standard somewhere on here. And I was like, oh, fuck that. And I deleted it (laughs) because it said gold and I didn't want to give Tether any credit. But that was a clear troll for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'm impressed that we use the exact same word. But it is, unfortunately, is the way we're going to have to compare all these. We're ultimately going to compare them all to Tether and how they function versus Tether. So what is Tether? How is its value pegged? It's got $1 sitting in a bank account. For every one Tether created, that is how it's derived its value. Now, the validity of that is in question, and we're going to go over it quickly here, but we have we did a basic blitz on Tether, and we also have a flagship episode where we discuss the Tether audit. So if you want more in-depth than what we talk about today, check those episodes out, uh, but you'll get the gist of what's going on today. But Definitely do your own research on this kind of thing. To start with, the Tether, they're supposed to have $1 in a bank account for every Tether made. Yep. All right. So who is responsible for putting those dollars in that bank account? So there's a company called, uh, that's based in Hong Kong, called Tether Limited. There are five people that are members of both Tether and Bitfinex. You know, people will often say Bitfinex owns Tether. It's not technically true, but in, in actuality, there's so much overlap that the exchange Bitfinex is tied to Tether and their fates will remain entangled. So let's go on a side tangent here. My knowledge of Bitfinex is somewhat limited. However, my knowledge is that it is functionally the largest exchange period and it mostly works in just, I believe it's just Bitcoin and US dollars. The difference that they have over other options is they offer the other ways to trade that I'm not super familiar with, uh, leveraging and there's some kind of multipliers. I know this sounds ridiculous to anybody that actually understands what I'm supposed to be saying here, but I don't know it. There is a ton of speculation that um, Bitfinex is involved in price manipulation directly. You know, there's a long history of Tether being very suspicious in the way, the timing of the way that tethers are printed has been documented, well-established on Reddit. We've discussed it several times on this show. There's a reoccurring trend of lots of tethers being printed at noticeable dips in Bitcoin swings. Difficult to say how much manipulating Bitfinex could hypothetically do if they had the desire, but there's a lot of really intelligent people with some compelling evidence that is circumstantial at this time, but is really adding up over time. There's a lot of speculation between Tether and Bitfinex, and I'll just go over the quick facts. I don't know Bitfinex and their uh, user experience. They are not allowed to serve U.S. investors. What I will say is that Tether has not 
been audited. There was a paper out that they tried to pretend was an audit. It was not an audit. The paper was put out by a lawyer that worked for one of the members of the Tether team before they hired them to do this particular thing. So it, they they basically said that Tether had the money on one very specific day at one very specific time and that everything was okay. So we do know for a fact that they have not been audited to my own satisfaction and really the satisfaction of the community as a whole. Although they have assuaded some fears with some kind of halfway bullshit. They were audited or they were trying to get audited by an actual auditor and they fired that auditor. They say everything's there like uh, CZ from Binance has said everything's there. The fact remains that the nothing has happened yet. Nobody's tried to cash out dollars and not been given them yet. And nobody has really been able to prove that they don't have the money that they have. Detractors from what I'm saying here will say if the market really thought that there weren't one tether for every uh, one U.S. dollar in the bank account then the price of Tether wouldn't be a dollar. It would be less. And it's often traded at a dollar. So I don't know if that speaks more to, to market ignorance or if it means that maybe we're looking into we're looking too far into something that, that we shouldn't be. I'm more inclined to believe that people are taking something at face value that they shouldn't. They are trusting a financial institution, one that's not even particularly tightly regulated. There's a lot of trust here. I mirror your thoughts on that. I believe that uh, the argument that if people had, didn't have believed that it was there, that it would trade for less, I highly disagree with it because the people that are using it oftentimes wouldn't be the real victims if it were there. This is used on exchanges a lot to replace fiat trading. So to people that are trading tethers, oftentimes are trading them and then putting in orders or trading in now. I just feel like it's whatever the location that they're supposed to be in is lumped together. If there's a bunch of like half filled pots of tethers and like significantly less money liquidity than they're supposed to have, they can be doing a lot of selfish or irresponsible things with the loose money. And there's just no way that the deposits and withdrawals are equal to a relevant percentage of what is supposed to be in the audit. And right. with that in mind, if it's not relevantly fluctuating the amount that's supposed to be there, then you can have no security that what is there is supposed to be there. So very similar to if you wanted to go withdraw all of the money that was supposed to be in your bank account on a given day, you probably wouldn't be able to do that at a bank. I don't believe you could do that with Tether. Could they come up with it? I don't know. But the way they've shown themselves to the community, you should be able to do that. A couple other random things. They appear to be exceptionally good at buying the dip, so to speak. So they create Tether at times when Bitcoin is particularly low. Now, that might mean that they create Tether, people sell and create sell or sell their Bitcoin, buy for Tether, and it goes up because there's buying pressure. Or it could be that there's more of a correlation. Again, we've, we've talked about this on a couple of different episodes. I don't want to get too far into it, but Tether is in a scary position. Now, I think that the reason it trades at a dollar is because there's been no hiccup yet. But when there's a hiccup, when it comes time that you start to find out two or three people try to cash out 10 grand or 20 grand here and there, and they're being delayed, and they're being pushed off, and then finally when that bubble bursts where somebody wasn't able to get their, their funds for a long period of time... The value isn't going to slowly go down. The value is going to plummet because they're going to realize there's nothing there to get. I think the value is a dollar around Tether until it's not. 
And then when it's not, it's very quickly not. Will that ever happen? I don't know. Like, we've talked about this on the poker side of of things. Full Tilt Poker basically was running at a very small percentage of actual player deposits uh, on the poker site. Players would deposit. They would carry, like, 20 to 30% of the funds, maybe 40 and they would cash everybody out that wanted to cash out. But the reality was they were carrying more than enough to cover cash outs. But there was an externality that one day said, nope, you need to cash everybody out today. The U.S. government decided that to shut down Full Tilt Poker, which was running in the United States, I think, at the time. Or they were just seized. I can't remember if they were one of the offshore. They were offshore for sure. Okay. Anyway, they, they were shut down and they basically had to pay everybody their money right away. And they couldn't do so. So they couldn't do so because they were... In a position where if you're making decisions for your company, you might have thought, this is never going to come up. It's not a big deal. So we'll just operate a little bit lower. Tether could be making that same decision. They could even be making that decision knowing that 100% of the time in the past, it never would have happened. But black swans are black swans, unfortunately. So they they come out of nowhere. And their competitor, PokerStars, had the money. PokerStars had the money escrowed as they should. And as soon as this happened, PokerStars paid everybody their money. So it was, you know, Tether could be the full tilt poker of the uh, of the stablecoin world. All right. So I hinted that this could have some rapid fire elements into it. We are now two questions in to our 20 so far. Let's try to keep it back on track. I'm going to do my best here. Uh, so Tether, has it successfully replicated the dollar so far? Yeah. Uh, Tether is, I think, of all the ones that we're going to... Uh, that we're going to talk about has successfully mimicked the dollar the closest. It it's fluctuated, you know, between a couple of different price points, but for the most part, it's a dollar oh one or ninety nine cents most of the time. So yes, it has, despite its problems, it has mimicked the dollar for all intents and purposes on the Ethereum. What this tells me more than anything else is that we are early adopters, and that this game is not even close to solved yet. Keep your head up, boys and girls. All right. Pros and cons. Real quick, Brent. Uh, what pros exist within Tether? All right. So I'll sum this up. It's a good substitute for the dollar. It is of the five that we're going to talk about. It is the closest to a dollar at all times. It is the best substitute that we have. Um, I, I And I say that with a grain of salt as far as just the price. But price-wise, mimicking exactly $1, it's doing the best. Uh, it's taken at the most exchanges, more than any of the other possible replacements are taken. And it's, of course, as easy to use as Ethereum is. And then the cons are it's very likely not collateralized. We we do not believe that the money is there. That is echoed throughout the cryptocurrency community. But people are kind of like, you know, burying their head in the sand on this and whatever, because they know what happens if it goes down. The exchanges are still taking it there. They need to move away from it as soon as humanly possible. Hopefully some some of these other projects will spearhead that. Um, it's never been audited by a neutral third party. The lawyer that did the quote-unquote audit was not an auditor. He was just a lawyer. He says right on the first like page of this audit report, this is not a financial audit because he's not – he's a lawyer. And he's, he's a lawyer that – already worked for them so there was a conflict of interest here that uh, people you know kind of gloss over so and it's completely centralized by by a body that's not regulated by the united states so they're dealing with the united states dollar but they're not regulated by the united states so that's interesting um i don't know what the regulations are necessarily like in hong kong but i i almost want to say it feels you're putting your trust in a 
strictly worse bank by holding a tether. It is a bank that is not regulated by the United States. And we don't like regulation. We don't like the United States banks. But you're taking all of that and throwing it in Hong Kong. <laughs> so, All right. I got a great idea. I have, I have what I consider the best analogy I can come up with for Tether. Tether is the equivalent of going to a foreign country with U.S. dollars and like hiding them in the bushes. <laughs> They'll be there when I get back. Don't worry. They very well, they might be there when you log back in. But one day, eventually, they're just not going to be. And you could store, you know, hypothetically in this story, like, yeah, you could put it in a better hiding place. But like, I just don't see this ending well. I highly recommend avoiding this situation entirely. I hope Tether is phased out slow enough that it never happens. I hope we look like idiots. I hope everybody's like, oh, these guys kept calling for the sky falling on Tether and it never happened. By all means, I hope hope they get a proper audit. The second they have a proper audit, I will retract all the negative things that I said. And I said, I don't care what happened to this point. If you're good now and you want to stay within reasonable audit. I don't know what a reasonable audit period is for something like this. I don't know if it's weekly, monthly, quarterly. Who knows? But if it's something that the community feels is reasonable – then I'm going to say I apologize and thank you guys for not bo- setting off another nuclear bomb in our in our industry. Yeah. Until that happens, I'm fearing it's another nuclear bomb. Yeah, and and my guess is if the audit ever happened at this point, it would be we wouldn't want that because it would show that they're that the coins aren't there. So, yeah, I hope this I hope we have enough better options by, you know, next year this time that Tether has been phased out by the biggest exchanges so that when it happens it's not as bad. Here's what I consider the best case scenario for Tether. The best case scenario for Tether is they actually have just invested that money into something safe like a normal bank would. And they are probably making bajillions of dollars off these investments. At the end of the day, as long as that money is invested in something that like would fall into reasonable regulated categories, that's the best case scenario. Hopefully. But – I think that that is still extremely unlikely. Yeah. Okay. So safe to say we're looking for a better option than Tether. Actually, I'm glad we started there because we now know the gold standard of red flags as well. <laughs> we have four more that we're planning to cover. I actually know not a single thing about BitUSD. I've decided with your little questions here, I think I want to switch the order of two and one. So why don't we start with who owns it? I think that's a little bit better. Uh, okay, so the BitUSD is localized to the BitShares platform, and it is therefore only owned by the BitShares network. So it is decentralized as far as the BitShares network is decentralized. BitShares is one of Dan Larimer's projects. It's his first one, so Steam and EOS are the other two. He was kind of famously ousted from it. They kind of got rid of him. There was some internal strife. In which project? Uh, BitShares. He kind of like... Okay, so I, so Dan Larimer was forced out of BitShares? I don't remember if he was like forced or if he like told him to fuck off or something, but it was not like a, a happy departure. Okay, I, feel like, I mean, that's not surprising. I feel like the Dan delegates history. Yeah, voted him out. I can't remember. So the, it's, it's a delegated proof of stake. Very similar to Steam, very similar to EOS with 101 delegates that decide on the future of the coin and the platform. So it's decentralized as far as like those 101. How exactly does their mechanism work? What exactly are they trying to accomplish and how are they trying to accomplish it? Because before you go on, 
I tried to comprehend Steam dollars as as a stable coin, and that was a very complicated path that I'm probably glad is not included on here. So my experience in Dan Larimer designed stable coins is not very pleasant. Not surprising. So <laughs> how does BitUSD work? So I'll tell you basically how it how it started and then now how it is today. And it is not an easy it's not easy to chew on. It's probably gonna take the most uh point of this of this episode. So they're using derivatives contracts to create the BitUSD. And derivatives contracts are like futures contracts. Their value is derived from an underlying asset. So originally, here's what they used to do. Now, this has been changed a little bit, but when it first came out, there's a good video I've got in the show notes that'll kind of explain this. But let's say I want to create one of these bit USDs. So how am I going to collateralize a US dollar, but not use any US dollars to do so? Because remember, BitShares is a mostly decentralized exchange. So they can't like accept any US dollars, but they would probably like to have that on their site. So I think this is even older than Tether, but it doesn't work on any of the other blockchains. So you have to like use it within here. So the way they originally did it was I would I would say, hey, I want to borrow $1 worth of value. In order to do this borrowing of $1, I have to put up $2 worth of the BitShares token. And then you will loan me a dollar. And then that dollar, the we create the contract for the BitUS dollar. So I put up $2 worth of, of BitShares. BitShares token? Yeah. You put up $1 worth of bit shares, and now we create this one bit US dollar. And here's how it works. I owe you a dollar, but I put up $2 to make this thing. And if at any point the value of what I put up drops to a certain level, it automatically liquidates my position and gives you your dollar back. Now, for locking up your dollar, you get a small fee for doing so, it's a small interest. So you can stake your dollars to loan them out. Well, on stake the your bit shares, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Stake. You can stake your bit shares to get loans, but can you stake your your bit USD to help pay for the loan? To like, can you be on both sides? I don't think so. Um, I, okay. So once the bit USD is out there, it just kind of functions as a dollar. I, it's not like this anymore because who would put up two dollars to borrow one dollar? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you're locking up those two dollars, so you're losing money. In crypto, that's a very different conversation. There's there's plenty of lending platforms that have collateral and you have to post more than the desired collateral. But if you're posting collateral in the form of Bitcoin, a lot of people have Bitcoin sitting in, you know, nano ledger wallets and, you know, you could you could be using that equity, you could borrow against the equity of that Bitcoin for a loan if you desired. Yeah. So what that's kind of what they're doing. So they're they're kind of going long on the price of the bit shares value by doing that. So they're saying, I'm hoping my bit shares grow in value. In the meantime, I'm going to use this one bit US dollar to do other stuff while this is locked up in a contract and should hopefully grow. Now, they don't have to do the two to one collateralization anymore, but it used to be that full two to one collateralization. And uh, if the price dropped, the the smart contract would Im- immediately sell your shit. Where do they get the price info? Because it's code, right? Like the you have to give the price info to the code somehow. It's kind of even though it doesn't seem like it, there is a subjective number here. Like you you have to have somebody reporting on the price. So those those hundred and one people I mentioned are always constantly reporting on the price. So now 
Uh, it's more like just one side decides to go short, one side decides to go long. The one bit USD is created without the full two to one collateralization. It's smaller. I don't know how much smaller, but it is smaller and makes a little bit more sense. So that's it's a very quick, succinct explanation. And I feel like I didn't do a great job, but the the end result is the bit US dollar holds the dollar value because the underlying assets are automatically sold if they fall too below, too far below a dollar from when they were too far below what they were at when they were put up. And if they go up, then you're just going to pay off your loan and get your get your money back because it's worth it for you to pay off that loan. So that's kind of how it works. And then once that's paid off, the contract is gone. So the bit US dollar is the contract that is worth one dollar. And once once you pay back the person who lent you that, it disappears. So now obviously this is done in a giant pool, but if it was just one to one, let's say that I put up a dollar or I put up the two dollars, you put up the one, and now we have that one bit USD, I go buy some shit with that, and then all of a sudden my two dollars are worth three. Well, I'm gonna go give you the two dollars. So I can take my $3 and do it again or take my $3 and use it on something else. And then in the meantime, you've been given a you've been given a, an interest loan and very almost no risk on that interest. Do you believe there's no risk on that interest or are you just saying that's what it's very it's trying to do? It depends on how collateralized they are now it, at the point where they're collateralized at two to one. The price would have to fall greater than 66 percent between reportings, which I think happen every hour or something. So in an hour, it'd have to fall 66% on the price of bit shares in order to screw you. So it could happen. It certainly could happen, but it's probably a very low risk scenario. We've covered who owns it and where its value comes from. Um, has it been successful in practice? No. Well, it's the least successful that we're talking about today. Now, it's pretty close to a dollar, uh, but it's also not close. Like they have... They've gone between like 90 to 95 cents uh, to a dollar 10, dollar 15. And they, I mean, they've also been as high as a dollar 40 and as low as like 80 cents. But those were like random spikes that probably had to do more with like, you know, black swans in the market than anything else. But it is the most volatility of any of the coins that we have checked. But it's also been around the longest. So it's had more opportunities to run into those big things that happen. I didn't look at the correlation for when, like, for instance, it went up to like a dollar forty. That could have been like during Mount Gox. I don't know if they've been around that long, but it could have been another major hack of some kind. Um, it could have been something else where the market went, you know, completely bananas in the other direction. Uh, same thing with the small amount, but really, uh, modern as far as modern BitShares price, it does fluctuate between like ninety five cents and a dollar ten. So it's a pretty, you know, that's a that's like a little bit more than a 15% fluctuation depending on which side of it you're looking at. So that's a pretty big uh yeah, that's a pretty big fluctuation on a stable asset. All right. Uh last part of bit USD pros and qu- pros and cons, what do you think? Uh well, as far as pros, it is se- semi-decentralized in as far as BitShares is decentralized, it's decentralized. Um, which, which I like, we don't have to trust anybody. Like we know that those contracts are there. So we don't have to, this is another, this pro number two. We don't have to worry about the funds. We see them on the blockchain. We see how many contracts there are. We see how many makers and takers there are. We see all of that. 
it is the oldest stablecoin. It's been around for a long time, so it hasn't disappeared like it's been there, but it doesn't really interact with any other platforms. Uh, so I'll get that in a con in a second, but the, that's it. I mean, it, it it's basically a decentralized version that um, doesn't do the greatest job of mimicking the dollar. Uh, so as far as cons, it's only used on the BitShares platform and uh, one other thing called Open Ledger. Uh, which I'm not sure how Open Ledger works, but I just looked at CoinMarketCap. It's the only other thing it's on. It's not on any other exchanges. Exchanges don't even like carry the BitUSD, so uh, so it can't really be accepted anywhere. So it's not like you can use it for a dollar. You can use all these other ones that are on the ERC20 uh, Ethereum platform anywhere you can use Ethereum, right? Uh, and not every exchange is going to have every one of these other coins that we talk about, but at least if somebody will accept an Ethereum token, you could send it to them. Also, doesn't do a greatest job of mimicking the dollar, it's very complicated. I think it took me like 20 minutes to even kind of go over how this derives its value. An incredulous investor wondering how this happens is going to have their work cut out for them to figure it out. And their choices are take it at face value or do all the research. And since it's only on the BitShares platform, it's really tough for them to to kind of justify doing all that research. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Um, excellent recap of the BitUSD. Let's go on to coin number three. This is Maker, from what I understand, I and I have no knowledge of what this is, so who owns it? Let's get started. Okay, so it, it's called the DAI. Maker is the the kind of protocol behind it. So there's a co- there's a token called the Maker, MKR, and the company behind it, but the, the DAI is completely decentralized, and it works off of a smart contract, so nobody owns the DAI. And I don't know what DAI stands for. I'm sure it's decentralized asset something or other, but I didn't look it up. I probably should have. Fair <laughs> enough. What mechanism does it use to peg itself to the U.S. dollar? Very similar to what we went over, what we just went over, but it's a little bit less collateralized. So, and it's completely on a smart contract rather than uh, rather than on a derivatives contract. So here's how it works: If I want to, I can lock up my money in their smart contract. Let's say I wanted to lock up one full Ethereum in the smart contract and just for the ease of what we're doing one full ethereum is going to be 150 dollars please god no i mean we're we're on our way there but just for the ease of what we're talking about this how it's going to work so i i can lock up a hundred a one ethereum for 150 dollars and get 100 dollars back so my ethereum now is locked up and it's stuck in that contract until I pay back the hundred dollars that I'm borrowing against the contract. So now I have one hundred dollar tokens the die um, or maybe it's dollar asset something. I don't know. But so I've got the 100 die that has now been given to me. And I can use this die however I want. And my Ethereum is still locked up in the contract. If the price of Ethereum goes up, nothing happens. There Actually, there are some interesting things that go. I'm not going to go into them. But if the price of Ethereum were to skyrocket and ruin the demand for the die token, they have measures in place to stop that. But for most intensive purposes, if it goes up, nothing bad can happen, right? I'm just going to eventually go give the 100 die back to the contract and take my Ethereum back because it's worth more. And then the other op- the other thing that would happen is if is the Ethereum goes down. If the Ethereum goes down, so we remember, we put up $150 to get 100 If the price of that Ethereum were to go down to 125 I would be forced to liquidate tokens until I got back to that 150% collateral. So it would automatically liquidate those tokens to the highest bidder inside the smart contract and then I would have less money left there. I would owe less, but I would also have less money available to get back out. 
So it would make the tokens out of your Ethereum. Yes, it would create. Okay, it would get. It, it would, would put itself away. back to that to that three to two ratio. Yes. So gotcha. So as the price drops, I would be forced to sell. So I may end up in a spot where I lose one hundred and fifty percent of my money because like Ethereum tanks and all my money gets sold. Eventually, I can go pay back and get my Ethereum out or not, and it just stays locked up in the smart contract until it all gets sold. In the event of a crazy event where there was like this massive crash of Ethereum and we needed to and, and the smart contract started to liquidate, but there weren't enough buyers and now there's a bunch of Ethereum that's stuck in there. The maker token is now required to buy the Ethereum from the smart contract. So if you have the maker token, you might be in a spot where you're staking, you're getting staking rewards for your maker token. The risk that you're taking there is that if there was a flash crash of some kind, you would have to buy the Ethereum with your maker tokens. And that's the final failsafe to stop these maker or the die tokens from dropping below the actual $1 price. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to try to recreate what I heard. So there is, all right, I understand the 150% investment to lock, so you, you provide collateral basically. I'm, I'm a little bit lost on the maker token. Is that a stable coin? No. Is that a, all right, so that probably trades on an exchange and I'm sure it fluctuates like everything else. Yes. The, the maker token is its own thing. It's how they like kind of work the maker platform. The die isn't a, going to be the only stable token. It just is the only one right now. There's going to be other ones. There's going to be other ways to use the maker token. But right now it's mostly. And this is ERC20, right? Yes. So, yeah, the, the simple version is I give you 150 bucks, I get 100 And if what I gave you isn't worth $125 at least, then you get to sell some of my shit to make it worth right. And then eventually I can give so you that money the, back and get it all. The, M, the maker tokens are people, do they probably get staking rewards in the die tokens or like part of the dollars? I think it, or gives it to them in the maker token. I'm not sure. I didn't do. I think hmm. the maker is going to be an interesting one on one in the future. But this is yeah, just like I'm, I'm already curious. <clears throat> cool. Let's uh, put that on the next poll, perhaps. I I agree. We could put it on. When the are next when are the polls supposed to? When are we? Do we have a set time of setting the poll and ending the poll? We might if we're going to do it every once in a while. We might as well set it. I just nope. <laughs> I literally just go in there, do it, and. And set some time and then eventually goes off. We're doing it in the Discord. So if you want to join our Discord, you want to vote for the coins that we're going to cover, you can do it in there. And it's just like a little emoji poll thing where there's a bot that tracks it and you just like click on the number that you want to vote for. If you change your vote, it goes from the one number to the next number. So you can't just vote for all of them. Yeah. And then and we decide that way. So uh, we'll probably try some Twitter polls here and there. We'll try a couple of different ways of doing these polls. But we want to create the content that you want to listen to. So that's how we come up with that. Giggity, giggity, goo. All right. Pros and cons. Uh, oh, wait, no. Has it successfully replicated the dollar? It's less stable than Tether, but only in a couple of instances. For the most part, so far, the die has been very <clears throat> close to the dollar. So uh, most of its fluctuations are between 99 cents and a dollar one. So it seems to be doing a good job replicating for now. I'm totally fine with my stable coins fluctuating a penny. Yeah. On it. Like, that, that sounds kind of weird con conceptually. I'm totally fine with this. Let's cover the pros and cons. What do you think it covers for pros? Well, it's completely decentralized and trustless. So that is, that's nice as far as the Ethereum network is at least. It's interestingly kind of allows you to take a position and be leveraged. 
It's not a lot of leverage, but let's say I love the price. I, w- I think the price of Ethereum is going to go up, but I so I'd like to buy some more Ethereum. I can lock up two Ethereum, pull out, or well, I can lock up 1.5 Ethereum, pull out about 1.1 Ethereum in value in US dollars, wait a little bit, go invest that into Ethereum, and both investments could grow. Now, at the same time, if they go down, the same risk of a leverage position, they're going to make me liquidate so I get hit twice as hard. You can create create your own leverage basically on any exchange that you want, even the ones that don't have leverage. So that's also that could also be a con, but it is definitely uh, it's definitely a pro of it, and it also it seems to be mimicking the dollar very well. It can be used anywhere that an ERC twenty token is. As far as the cons, it's difficult to understand where it gets its value. Same thing that we just had with the BitUSD. It's not on the major exchanges. The most major exchange it's on is HitBTC. I know we've had some issues with HitBTC in the past. Not the greatest of exchanges, so you don't want to like mess around too much with. The, if you're messing with the die, you got to mess around on kind of a cheeky exchange right now. Hopefully, it gets a little bit more. And I'm not certain that the failsafe would work. It sounds great in theory. I don't know enough to know whether it would work or not, but I'm pretty sure if there was a flash crash of Ethereum, everybody's fucked anyways. So, <laughs> well, anyone on exchanges, anyways. Yeah. All right, so we actually learned about. Gemini GUSD this morning when we covered the R Cryptocurrency Weekly Recap. You can catch that in the R Cryptocurrency Discord server 11 a.m. on Tuesdays for one hour. Catch the three of us as we talk about the top stories of the week. <laughs> uh, or like... Hey, thanks. <laughs> what, what did we talk about this week? We were talking about like... Oh, we talked about all sorts. Last week, we talked about John McAfee's documentary <laughs> and all the beauty of that. This week, we talked about... Oh, different things that um, we were thinking about chugging. <laughs> oh yeah, we came up with the idea that I might end up chugging some ketchup for our humiliation bet. I'm super not excited for that. Anywho, let's kind of get this back on track. Uh, Gemini GUSD, who owns it? A Gemini Exchange owns the coin and the uh, and the bank accounts behind it. Therefore, you are trusting the Winklefoss twins here. All right, where does it get its value? So it's a it's again an ERC twenty token. It is held in bank accounts that are owned by Gemini at one to one. So just like Tether, it's the exact same one-to-one, one of those created for every dollar in their bank account. The difference, however, is it is regulated by the New York State Department of Financial Services. So even though we're talking about how it's owned by Gemini, they do have responsibility to at least prove that it's there. Um, It is also going to be audited by independent auditors with that fall within the standard of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. So both of those are very American-centric governing bodies, but they're governing a U.S. dollar token. So that's like kind of okay in my opinion. If you're going to be working with a U.S. dollar for whatever reason on the blockchain, you think the dollar is going to, you know, something you want, then doing it in a regulated way is better than the alternative of Tether. The quick version is I have no idea how well it's going to replicate the dollar. I know that's the next question, but it's literally just been announced. I haven't even logged on to Gemini. Yeah, we, to we learned about it this morning. Yeah. So I, they said it was already ready to go on their site. So I don't really know about that. But so we have no idea. It's not on CoinMarketCap, so I don't know what the fluctuations are like. Yeah, that, it's way too early to discuss that. Um, why don't we move into your early opinions of the pros and okay. cons? So it's basically just a strictly better tether because a third party audits it, adheres to U.S. regulations, and it's on a very large exchange, which is Gemini. The cons, obviously, it's centralized. It is controlled by Gemini, so 
they s- somebody embezzling or something like that could get away with something at some point. It's not taken anywhere yet, so we're working on adoption. And also, the Gemini Exchange itself has given me personally enough pause recently to stop using them all together. And they used to be my primary onboarding ramp for cryptocurrency. So I don't like raising the fees. I don't like them randomly closing people's accounts. We've talked about them on a couple of different shows. But... Uh, they are not my favorite exchange. I'm checking exchanges off the list between being banned at Coinbase and not liking Gemini. We're, uh, <laughs> we're going down the list of things that I'm even allowed to do. Quick question here. Part of my foray into crypto is learning about white-collar crimes. Uh, can you give me a little bit of a definition of what embezzling is and why that could be a concern? Okay, yeah. So embezzling is just basically somebody siphoning money out of an account, but like fudging the numbers so it doesn't look like they're doing that. Now, it's a pretty common thing that happens at a lot of big corporations. It's stealing. It's just, but it's stealing in such a way that like you have access to this stuff. So it's like, I I guess embezzling would also mean like taking $100 out of the cash drawer at McDonald's, but like finding a way to hide it so that nobody figures it out until much later. Yeah, embezzling is siphoning the funds off and just slowly getting away with it until you're caught. And generally, you're in some island with no extradition at some point. So depending on how quickly these audits happen, you know, maybe somebody could get in there and fuck around and, and get some money out of there before it's noticed. Not not likely, but that's any centralized company with people who control things are going to be subject to possible embezzlement. That's I mentioned it as like a, a strictly Gemini thing. It's not. It would also apply to any of these ones that have a bank account sitting there. So anybody could embezzle any of that, whoever runs those bank accounts. That's the point of this trustless shit. <laughs> like we we don't want to have to <laughs> This worry. is literally why we're here. This is embezzlement and all kinds of fraud are why we ended up with bailing out banks and doing all that shit. So Alrighty. Uh we covered the pros and cons completely for G G U S D. Yep, that's uh about <clears throat> the end of that. All right. Next up we have True USD. Who owns it? It's owned by Trust Token. I'm not sure like what their centralization decentralization is. I believe they're centralized, so I'm gonna go with that. Uh, but the, it's owned by the the Trust Token somewhere on TrustToken.com. And where does it get its value? Uh, similar to Tether and the Gemini USD, it is pegged one-to-one on the dollar with bank accounts. There's a slight difference here. The trust token is the true USD. So trust token puts it out there, but it is not controlled by the trust token company. The bank account that everything is handled through is handled for th- through a third-party escrow that true USD does not have any interaction with them. I, I mean, other than to, as far as the software is concerned, but true USD doesn't have access to these bank accounts. Uh, they, everything is publicly audited and the findings are published publicly. They're up to date as of August 31st. They audit every two weeks and show how much is there. We've got the link in the show notes. It's blog.trustoken.com. Uh, and they'll, they, they put all of their different audit reports on their blog. So, you know, it's escrow is important when you're talking about trust centers. I mean, Smart contracts are trying to get rid of the need for escrow, but in the meantime, as they're evolving, true escrow is kind of like what we have to deal with. Something that struck home for us in the poker community is there was a company uh, called the PPC, uh, the Players Poker Championship, that basically was running a Ponzi scheme. And the way that they were able to do it is they didn't escrow funds. And none of the casinos really asked them if they were escrowing funds. So what they did was... The, the quick version is they would run these tournaments and they would give you like future 
prize packages for this like tournament in Aruba. And you would show up and play that tournament at the end of the year. And then like one year they were just like, yeah, we can't really pay anybody. So uh, see ya. Totally Aruban regulations and not us stealing money. What really ended up happening is they weren't escrowing the money, so they were just using it. So escrow is super important, even though it still requires you to trust the escrow company. It really makes you wonder like how long of a con that was, man. Like, like was Aruba carefully selected originally? Like, like, is it possible that it just was like, maybe we'll just choose here and like, I don't know if we find a situation where we need to squeak our way out. We will, you know, it's hard to say. It was a very big black eye to particularly the Florida poker community. Uh, this hit home pretty hard. These scumbags here that owned the PPC, uh, used to participate in a bar league poker company that used to come into the Isle casino where we worked. And, you know, it was, it was almost like I had known these guys before this company was even created. And, you know, by all accounts, they seem to pass some eye tests or some brief personality tests with important people. And unfortunately, they got a lot of people, man. And, and this is one of many things that's really helping my eyes get open and learning how to protect myself more and just take care of, you know, my hard earned assets. Yeah, with, with most things, I don't, it's hard to tell if it was always set out to be a scam or not. I'm going to go ahead and assume probably not. It may have been. It may have been a long con from the beginning. Like a lot of like BitConnect was clearly a long con from the beginning. In some of these situations, I think what happens is like because there's no oversight here, because there's no escrow, because there's no third party audit, you start to use your money for things and you're like, yeah, we'll just put that back in there later. And then all of a sudden you don't have the money to put back in there. Yeah, I agree with Mike's assessment that these guys kind of passed the eye test as far as like you know, people thought one of them was slimy, but like for the most part, they they were both nice guys. I went to the first tournament they had, loved every second of it. Aruba was a great island, had a lot of fun. I even wore one of their patches to a tournament one time. And then like the reason this hit so close to home was because I was the one who originally outed them on uh, on the like big poker community. I posted what information I had and I let the community find out the rest. They're currently facing a lot of charges. Nobody got paid. It was a big fucking mess. It was a couple of years ago, but it just... Yeah, it's a personal experience with something that really opens your eyes to like even a small company running a little bit of money decided to start making dumb decisions with it. And they may not have been not trustworthy people, but they ended up being that way. So there, I'm sure there's a million excuses. Uh, I heard at one point that uh, that they blamed it all on me because I put the information out there. They said if it wasn't for me, they would have come up with all the money. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Blame me, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's a central theme to these U.S. dollar companies and escrows and audits and all that. So that was an interesting uh, side tangent that I never thought would make its way onto the crypto podcast. But <laughs> but here we are. So back to true USD. Did we cover fully where its value came from? Are we are we on on yeah, point yep, there? Basically, just the same way tether, but with third party audits and an escrow company called Cohen and uh, Co. Cohen and Company. <laughs> Don't laugh. all right so has it successfully replicated the dollar so far cartman uh yeah (laughs) it it actually seems to now i said tether was the best out of all of them but this is actually closer to the real value than tether but it's been around so much less time that it was hard to give it the the trophy there it hasn't really been tested so uh but so far it seems to be holding its value better than tether uh, better than Tether, closer than Tether. So very, very tiny fluctuations. Tiny fluctuations are what we are looking for. So pros and cons. Um, I will say 
The immediate one pro that stood out to me was that Binance went out of its way to add this stablecoin after having Tether as a trading pair for essentially the entire duration of that exchange. I found that decision very, very interesting. And I think that there is something that I'm going to choose to read between the lines. And I know that CZ went on Twitter. CZ is the CEO of Binance. He went on to Twitter to say, as you've already mentioned, that, oh, Tether's fine. Everything's good. We really respect CZ thus far. This is one of the only things that off the top of my head that we were like, I wish I could ask him more about this. So that has been publicly situated and they've decided to add another stable coin. My assessment is true USD probably is much more legit in CZ's eyes. And he's hearing the customers say, we don't want Tether. Please give us another option. And I think that they're going to have people start choosing the other option. Because if if you have a certain selection of people that are being alienated by one of your products and you can offer the identical product that will appease everybody's needs, well, then you have a solution for everybody. So that's something that stood out to me. I just wanted to cover that in my personal opinion on the pros and you're welcome to continue what you think are the pros. So to speak to what you're saying there as far as like reading between the lines, uh, if Tether were to just tomorrow not be taken by Binance, we would reach that situation where we would be worried about the tether kind of crash happening, right? So they've added the true USD to Binance, but it only has a pair with the USDT, which is interesting. So they can just arbitrage tether. Wow. Uh, that's <laughs> hilarious. And then it's also got Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the Binance token. So it's only got a few things, but look for that to start gaining one to two to three more of the pairs that Tether currently already has. And at one point they may completely phase it out. You know, it's going to be slow though. They can't, it would be irresponsible for them to just jam it out of there. Even if they don't agree with it, I would really like it. If exchanges came out and said, we will, uh, honor Tether. That's my, that's the next point that I want to just, if I obviously there's almost a, you know, very low chance CZ can hear me, but if anybody from Binance is listening, all the people would want, from an exchange that offers Tether is to say, we'll back it. Yeah. We have them. If you believe it, then just tell me you'll back it. I want a guarantee from the centralized company that I'm choosing to use if I'm using a centralized exchange. I, like at the end of the day, if I were to decide I would like to use Tether, I would keep it and I decided I wanted to have it on an exchange, then I would go to an exchange that would offer it and that would tell me, I understand that there's some confusion about this. So we'll just remove all of the confusion. And if it's on our exchange, we'll back it. That would be the solution. Yep, in my opinion. And no exchange has done that. So I feel like if any of the exchanges had the real utter confidence in Tether that they kind of like project by having it on their sites, they would just do that because now, like you said, where would you hold your Tether? You would hold it on Binance if they said, we'll guarantee it because now right. you could just yeah, great. I can hold it on there. No risk. I would rather hold it on there than Bittrex. So now we're going to have a little bit more money come into your exchange. So you would think a smaller exchange might like kind of say that and and try to do that if they really believed it. But I think that many exchanges are just as worried about the Tether situation as we are, even though they say that they're not. And this is actually all good stuff we should have done after the pros and cons of TrueUSD. But, but quick pros, the company behind it doesn't touch the funds. There's regular audits and escrow. 
It's taken on Binance and Bittrex, so two biggest U.S. exchanges, which is important for the U.S. dollar. Well, biggest outside of Coinbase, but they actually have the U.S. dollar, so we don't need uh, Tether. And then the cons are it still requires trust in Cohen and Company. We need to trust that escrow site. And, of course, they're not decentralized, and uh, it's not got a ton of adoption yet. But, again, for all intents and purposes, strictly better than Tether. So which ones made the honorable mention but didn't quite get your research? attention well okay so there were a couple of ones that that the community may be like damn why didn't you cover that uh digix has a gold stablecoin where they peg their coin value to gold sitting in uh a vault in singapore so what again i don't i haven't looked into whether they're doing like their audits or whatever but gold is volatile in and of itself so there will be some volatility there but it'll be pegged to gold which you know the gold standard really worked out well for the rest of the currencies of the world so i'm glad we're doing that <laughs> then there's also uh, Haven.io, which uh, was just launched in June. Uh, it's backed by fees somehow. I didn't really look into it, but I thought it was interesting to hear that it was somehow backed by fees. I don't really know how that works. but uh, And then the Steam dollar we mentioned a couple times. The Steam dollar is supposed to be kind of close to the U.S. dollar. It is fucking not. It is similarly done with a derivatives contract, but like Steam is not an exchange, so it's kind of weird. It's been like... It's been up to like $7, it's been below a dollar, it's all over the place. So the Steam dollar does not function very well as a stablecoin, even though it's kind of purported as one. Uh, so those are like the honorable mentions that I'm sorry we didn't go into, but I, I felt like men- there's a lot more projects. I mean, there's there's tons of stablecoin projects. We'll have a blog article from Medium called, it's from Consensus called the, the State of Stablecoins. It tackles like 20 of them, plus another at least 10 projects that are on the way. Awesome stuff. Is there anything else that you want to cover before your personal future outlook? Oh, I forgot to even put that. Uh, no, no, it's <laughs> it's good. Let me let me come up with a personal future outlook real quick. Uh, the personal future outlook. Okay, so I'll start. I'll I'll give you time to think. I, I I would much rather just say, I've I've said we need a very easy to use stable coin that is pegged to the U.S. dollar. I think it is very very important for people to be able to move into crypto at their own pace and not move into Bitcoin and then decide eventually if they're enjoying this Bitcoin ride, whether they're interested in crypto as a whole. I think that I would be very excited if Square decided to design their own stablecoin. I think they're the ones, if they designed one, I think it would be really well executed and really would be what I would look for in that. My personal future outlook is I think there's such a need. And I think that it's, to me, this is the number one demand for people that don't know what they're asking for yes, in crypto. It is. It's a, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like the, my future outlook is it's like a band aid. We need it while we're kind of having a transition from, from centralized money to decentralized money. Cause remember the US dollar, especially backs pretty much all or doesn't back but it's it's pegged to all global currencies like they global trade is carried out in the u.s dollar so like there is a lot of u.s centric stuff meanwhile u.s is kind of falling behind on blockchain we talked about that in the flagship on friday there needs to be stable coins to kind of you're right how people get their feet wet like if you are in venezuela you're not allowed to have u.s dollars but maybe you can find a way to have these u.s dollar backed cryptos on the blockchain and you're not really ready to buy into Bitcoin yet. So, you know, like you, you know, you don't want any of the, they're literally using it to wipe their ass, by the way. Like I made that yeah. joke, but now it's happening. 
you don't want to be using the coin that you you would be using to wipe your ass, but at the same time, you don't want to violate any laws and buy U.S. dollars and have those on you because then you're just dead. So that would be an interesting way to get around that. And um, and and of course, we're all still factoring these prices in U.S. dollars. We're talking about oh, Bitcoin's at six thousand, Bitcoin's at five thousand, it's at ten thousand. So we're it's going to be a long time before we're completely off of that measuring metric and we're going to need a stable coin that is also not a ticking time bomb to, to get us through that adoption. All right. So I'm going to give just my personal experience and something that I see a massive use case for this. Brent and I have been talking about traditional financial world. I'm learning about all the different types of ETFs and funds and IRAs and all these things that I should know about, but I don't. So if you don't understand any of those things, please do your research. It's arguably more important than crypto short term. But what I will say is I'm now learning how valuable money on the internet is going to be for investing. It's, you know, being able to hop in and out of shares of ETFs and collections and groups and whatever it is that you decide you want to do in crypto. I think there just needs to be a much simpler experience that doesn't necessarily need to involve Bitcoin. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. And also personal future (laughs) outlook. Uh, I'm really, I, I really think that something really bad will happen to the market when Tether is finally kind of outed. And because I feel like at this point they've gone too far. <clears throat> like if they end up not being the primary stablecoin, they are going to go down and take some take some serious market share with them, market cap with them. I am actually going to see how many Tethers coin market cap thinks are total are in circulation. I'm pulling it up right now. It is eighth largest <laughs> market cap <clears throat> and there's 2.7 billion of these in play. So if we compare that to, you know, how much the entire market is, current market cap of the entire space is 191 billion. So like this is a very like significant, it's a little more than 1% of the entire you know market cap. You can make the argument isn't the best metric to measure by. But when it's 1% of the market that I believe is a ticking time bomb, that is a very big problem that's potentially waiting to happen. I hope that doesn't happen. I'll be happy to eat crow or drink ketchup (laughs) if that is the case. But for the time being, I want to end this by reminding you, stay away from Tether and do your research on all crypto projects. Don't just listen to us. We are still idiots. Yep. And now that you mentioned that and I went to CoinMarketCap, I see that Ethereum is at 183. So that $150 thing earlier today wasn't too far off. Please don't go anymore. Ripple has a new, Ripple has a new logo? Oh, yeah. It's been like a month. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't log into this much anymore. Yep. Good choice. Good choice. All right. That's no it. He said right. it. we're not financial advisors, mm. so you can't sue us. Like Kareem said, tell your lawyer we're not interested. I Actually, one thing that we haven't been doing as much is the call to action. And, and this is something that I don't care how bad the crypto markets are. We work hard to do this content for you. We need your help. Join our Discord server. Join the conversation. Rate us on iTunes with an honest rating. We really appreciate and those help us quite a bit. Get new listeners. And uh, follow us on Twitter at CryptoBasicPod. Anything that I missed, Brent? Uh, uh, no, all that's uh, YouTube. Oh, yeah, our YouTube. We have a YouTube. Yeah, we really only put the flagships on YouTube, but we're going to start probably putting more stuff. I don't know. And then there's one stupid video of me.
Uh, last but not least, uh, we are heavily considering adding Patreon to our platform. If there's anything off the top of your head that makes sense, if you're familiar with Patreon, we would be open to suggestions. Please help us out. Yes. Discord primary way. We always talk with people in Discord. Like we're Yeah, we're active in the Discord nearly, you know, several times a day. It's we we love the community there and we like what we're building. All right. All right, I think that's gonna do it. That's gonna wrap it up for the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name was Mike. I was here with Brent. Bye. Thanks again for Bye. tuning in. And normally we put the disclaimer here, but we already did it, so we don't have to. How about that? Ha 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 suckers. Thank you.